Well, it's good to see everybody, all of you in the room, those of you online, good to see you as well. We can see you, you look good in your PJs or you're sitting there this morning, welcome. Uh, we're in the third week of the series that we've called Starting Point, and the entire premise of this series is that faith has a starting point. I mean, everything has a starting point. You had a starting point. Your career, your education had a starting point. If you have children, your, you know, your parenting had a starting point. And how something starts usually determines how well it goes from that point forward. But something we don't typically think about is that, start, is that faith had a starting point as well. And for, not for all of us, but for many of us, it started somewhere in childhood with a conversation we have with a parent or a pastor or a youth pastor or a priest, something maybe we heard at vacation Bible school or Sunday school, uh, you, you know, something we heard in a sermon or just somewhere in childhood our faith started. And, but fast forward a few years, you know, maybe when you got into college and something you heard your college professor say or after you got married or had kids or the kids, you know, moved out of the house, many of us found, found ourselves confronted with, you know, with the questions and the pressures and the realities and the hardships of life. And it started chipping away at our childhood faith. And a gap was formed. A gap was formed between what we were experiencing and what we believed as children. And as a result, some of us lost faith or abandoned faith or maybe left our faith behind. Not necessarily because we wanted to, but just because of our perceived irreconcilable differences. Well, something I've observed over and over and over and experienced over and over and over with so many people is that the starting point for faith it changes everything. The right starting point changes everything, but the wrong starting point does too. And I think one of the reasons that people abandon faith, lose faith, become disinterested in faith, question their faith, is simply because they didn't have the right starting point. So we decided, to, what we decided to do in the series is hit the restart button by asking the question, what would it look like to start all over in regards to faith? Like, where would we start if we wiped the slate clean and started all over as it relates to faith? What's the starting point for faith, particularly the quote-unquote Christian faith? And this series, I think it's so important. It's so important for anyone who's interested in starting faith in Jesus or restarting faith in Jesus, reigniting faith in Jesus, or maybe just growing in your faith in Jesus because with the right starting point, your faith can withstand the pressures and the realities of life. See, the right starting point, it doesn't remove questions. The right starting point doesn't remove doubt. But with the right starting point, you're able to stand firm in your faith in the midst of your questions and in the midst of your doubt. And with the right starting point, I believe God works through that to transform your faith, works through your faith to transform you more into everything that he's created you to be. Now, all these weeks build on each other. And so if you missed week one or week two, I'd encourage you to go back, watch those messages, because all these pieces fit together. It's important to have all these pieces as we journey through this series together. So go back and watch week one or week two if you missed e either of those weeks. But moving on, here we go. Another thing that very few people think about is that the story of faith has a starting point. Every faith system has a history behind it. There's a story for how it began, where it began, when it began, who the founder was, you know, why they believe what they do today, how it grew to what it is today, you know, why it looks the way that it does today. And the truth for most is that we don't know the story behind whatever faith system we embrace, and we're not all that interested in it. 
See, most, mo most of us are really more concerned about our personal experiences. We don't know church history, but we know if we like our church. You know, we, we're, 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 you know, we're more interested, more concerned with, has God answered my prayers, not where did the whole concept of a God-answering prayer begin with, you know, in the first place. You know, very few of us, when it comes to God or when it comes to faith, you know, we're not asking the question, hey, like, how did it all begin? We're asking the question, God, what have you done for me lately? And, you know, all those things are, you know, important, all those things are good, but, you know, which is fine, but I think the reality for many is that faith is based on personal experience alone. I have faith because I was praying one day, God, show me your, you know, you're real, and all of a sudden the wind blew in a different direction, and I knew now that God is real, and so your faith is based on the wind blowing in a different direction when you were 16 years old. Or, you know, I, I, you know, I, I saw God answer my prayers to heal my mom, and my mom, I thought she was going to die, but she didn't, and now she, you know, she's alive, she lived, and, you know, so my faith is based on, my faith is based on, on, on that. Or, you know, I had this, this, this sense of peace that I never experienced before, and that season of my life, and that's what my faith is, faith is based on, and, 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 or God opened the doors, didn't seem, miraculously opened the doors, it didn't seem possible for me to get this job, and, and, and then this one time, I, I gave, and I was so nervous to give, and then a check showed up in the mail for the exact amount that I had given, and, and all those things are great, and all those things are fine, and I hope you have all those personal experiences, but it's unfortunate that our faith is based on those personal experiences alone for so many people because faith based on personal experience alone eventually buckles under the weight of personal experience. See, faith based on past experience alone, what I once felt, what I once sensed, what I once saw, what I once heard, easily buckles under the weight and under the reality of the, of the experiences that we're currently faced with. The pain that we're currently faced with or the hardship or the death or the bankruptcy or the unanswered prayers, or the despair, the miscarriage, or the cancer that's filling your body, or the abuse that you're currently going through, or the good argument from that one college professor that he's giving you right now, or the divorce that you're experiencing or you're watching your parents experience. If it's all just based on past experiences, what you're currently experiencing, your faith can just buckle under those personal experiences today. And perhaps that's your story. Perhaps that's the reason you drifted away. Perhaps... That's the reason an irreconcilable gap was created in your faith. Well, it doesn't have to be that way. It shouldn't be that way. So today, we're going to go back in time and talk about something that is so important when it comes to the right starting point for faith in Jesus. Now, you, you, and you know this. The, the three main faith traditions in the world are Judaism, Islam, and Christianity. And many of us don't know that these three faith traditions actually share the same starting point. Consequently, there's a lot of overlap between, between the three and how they, uh, how they view God and how God views humanity. See, all three agree that God created humanity in his image. All three agree in one single God. They all call God a, you know, a different name by a different name, but they all agree that there is one single God. All three are, are monotheistic. All agree that somewhere in ancient past, this one God created everything. All agree that the climax of his creation was humanity, whom he created in his image. Another thing that all three agree, agree on is in the beginning, humanity lived in perfect harmony with God. Finally, another, thing that, another point of agreement between these three is that humanity's choice to sin messed it up. 
See, all agree that God created a perfect world, and, he, and all three agree that God created humanity with free will. That, that God gave the, the capacity for humans to say yes or no to him. And all agree that early on in history, humanity sinned by saying no to God. All agree that when sin entered the world, everything got messed up. And that nothing in the world and nothing in humanity has been the way that God created it to be and intended it to be ever since. See, all three faith traditions agree that sin doesn't make us, sin doesn't make us bad. Sin makes us dead. And that the cost of sin is death. All three agree, all three traditions agree that it started off so good and we are the ones who messed it up. All three agree that humanity's choice to sin has infected the world. And the world, because of our choice to sin, has become corrupted with pain and death and injustice and agony. And all three agree that sin has infected all mankind. And we actually talked about this last week. We talked about that none of us, uh, we, we talked about that none of us are, are, are mistakers. That it's way bigger than that. It's way uglier than that. We talked about whether or not you want to admit it or not. All of us are sinners. We also saw that Jesus talked about sin in a very interesting way. And Jesus talked about sin in a very different way than any other faith tradition that existed at that time. But when he talked about it, Jesus talked about sin in the context of relationship. And the point that Jesus continually made over and over and over again was sin is such a violation against God that it breaks relationship with God. Now the introduction of, of, of sin into the human experience, the introduction of sin into the world, it left God in somewhat of a dilemma. And God's dilemma, I think, can be illustration by, illustrated by something that every parent has probably experienced with their child. And that is throw up. Uh, every, every, kid who has a, every parent who has a kid who's, who's a little bit older now has all experienced something when our kids were younger. We all experienced something that we heard in the middle of the night that we did not want to hear. You know what I'm talking about. And this happened when Christy and I were young parents because uh, we're not young anymore. I got a lot of gray hair. When Christy and I were young parents, our oldest daughter, Grace, uh, went one night, this is what happened with her, one night, you know, we, we knew she wasn't feeling good. We knew this kid might puke. And this, is, this, could be, this could be bad. And so, you know, as our young daughter, we put a trash can by her bed. We said, honey, if in the middle of the night you feel like you got to throw up, just lean over. The trash can's right here. Just throw up right in the trash can and come get mommy and daddy, and we'll take care of it. But this little booger did not listen to us. And so in the middle of the night, she wakes up and feeling like she's got to puke. And you know what she did? She runs out of the room for her life. And in the middle of the night, in the hallway, we hear... You know, I mean, just losing it in the hallway, and we run up, and you know the scene. Like, I mean, I'm just, I'm almost gagging just thinking about the scene right now, because I can't do throw up. Like, I just, the smell, the sound, I, I can't do it, and I, we see the scene, and this kid didn't, don't throw up, like, in a little pile on the ground. I mean, it's like a murder scene of throw up in the hallway. I mean, it is on the walls and on the door, and it's a red color that I know is going to stain the carpet. It's all over the carpet. I didn't know how so much liquid could come out of one little human being, you know, and it's everywhere, and she's standing there in tears. She got all over herself and her hair, you know, she, I think she did her hair with it. I mean, her, it's just all over the place. And, you know, she's standing her tear-filled eyes, and she's like, I'm so sorry. And, of course, we looked at her and said, don't say you're sorry until you pick that up and clean that up. 
clean it up, we're going back to bed, come get us when that's all done. Now it's interesting, as <laughs> some of you view God that way. He looks at the mess of our own making and said, you got yourself into this mess, now you need to get yourself out. You got to clean up what you messed up. And even if you think that's what God's like, you don't believe that that's what we did with our daughter Grace. Do you? Which either means that me and Christy are more compassionate, more loving, more godly than God, or there's something about God maybe you don't know. Because you already know we did what any good parent would do. We waded into that puke and let it go between our toes we picked up our puke-covered daughter, we took her into the bathroom, we got her cleaned up and made her feel good and got her put back to bed, and then we went into the hallway, and we started the process of cleaning it up in the hallway. Well, in a similar way, God start, stared at humanity, those whom he created in his own image, but messed everything up with sin, and God had a dilemma. He could either walk away or he could wade into the mess. He could either destroy this sin-infected world or he could roll up his sleeves and go to work and fixing it. And this dilemma is, like, do I leave them hopeless? Do I leave them helpless? Or do I get involved and find a starting point for cleaning up the mess that they created? And because of his amazing love and because of his amazing grace, instead of walking away, God waded into the mess. Our Heavenly Father didn't say, you got yourself into this mess, so you got to get yourself out. you got to clean up what you messed up. Our Heavenly Father didn't leave us, leave us to try to clean up the mess we made before our relationship with him could be restored. And he didn't because he knew that wasn't even possible. Instead, he chose to wade into our mess that we made because of our sin and begin the task of restoring the effects of sin. But where would he begin? How would he begin the cleanup process? Where would, he be, where would he begin restoring the relationship? Because you know as parents, when you looked at that throw-up scene in the hallway, and I know I did this, I looked at that, and I'm like, I'm just going to put this house up for sale. Like, I, I don't even like want to start on, on this. But we just had to pick a starting point. Start and begin cleaning. Well, God did the same thing. So I got to start somewhere. But instead of starting in a particular place, he started with a particular person. See, the other thing that the three main faith traditions all agree on is that God began the cleanup process with one man named Abraham. All three faith traditions look back to Abraham as their founder and as their father. All three, all three look back to Abraham of being how God began to intersect with humanity and start fixing the effects, the problem, the consequences, and the corruption of sin. All three come together at Abraham, and then all three kind of go their separate ways thereafter. you got to know the story of Abraham. It, it, it begins around 1876 B.C., so around 1,800 years before Jesus ever walked this earth. Long before the prophet Muhammad, long before Moses, long before the Ten Commandments. And we, we think the world is bad now. Man, in ancient times when Abraham lived, it was unimaginable. Like we're disgusted by the injustices, some of the injustices that we see in our world now. But we can't even begin to imagine the injustices in the ancient world. There was 
no civil society. It was survival of the fittest. It was survival of the richest. Slavery wasn't even a second thought. Kidnapping was commonplace. If you wanted someone, you just took them, and when you were done with them, you either sold them or killed them. Equality, that was not even a word. Women had no value in the ancient world. It went dogs, women. That's the kind of world this was. And it was into that mess that God decided to wade into and take the first step of reconnecting with humanity. And he chose to do it through Abraham because he had to start somewhere. Abraham's story is actually recorded in the first book of our Bible called Genesis. And here's how his story begins. The Lord said to Abram, whose name was later changed to Abraham. The Lord said to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. He's saying, Abraham, I want you to leave and abandon your land. And I'm, I'm going to isolate you. Because I'm going to do something new in this world that's going to impact the whole world. And I'm choosing, Abraham, to start with you. Don't ask why. It won't make sense. And then God made three promises that he said he will do in and through Abraham if Abraham chose to trust him. And the first promise, he says, is I will make you into a great nation. Now, this had to has come as a shock to Abraham and created a ton of tension for Abraham because Abraham had no children. But to make that matters worse, make matters worse, when God said this, Abraham was 75 years old and his wife, Sarah, was well beyond childbearing years. So it created some tension with Abraham when God said this. And notice, it's even crazier, God didn't promise Abraham a child. God promised that from him would come a great nation. And you got to know, that promise actually came true. Israel says they're that great nation. Several Arab nations claim to be that great nation. No argument came, there's no argument that a great nation came from Abraham. The only argument is which nation is referred to here. Now the interesting thing about this promise is that God is about to address the, the problem and the mess of sin in this world. See, God saw the problem we created. And he starts with one man. And essentially through this promise of what we know, what comes next is God saying, Abraham, I am going to establish a nation through you. And through that nation, I will begin restoring humanity's relationship with me. Then he goes on to the second promise. And I will bless you. And I will make your name great. Basically saying, I will make you well known. I will make you famous. you got to know this happened as well. Because real, real quick, just in the room, like just show me. If you have heard of Abraham before today, raise your hand. If you've heard Abraham, pretty much everybody. Now, what about this guy, Cheddar Laomer? You ever heard of Cheddar Laomer? If you heard of him, raise your hand. What? You never heard of Cheddar Laomer? Like you, the most famous king of Edom who lived at the time of Abraham that everybody knew he was a king of Edom? You never heard of him? Like, are you dumb? No, you're not dumb. It's because no one's heard of him, because no one's heard of anyone, most people who've lived 4,000 years ago. They're all forgotten. But Abraham, I mean, just about everybody's heard of Abraham, even though he started off as a nobody. I mean, not crazy. Here's the third promise God makes to him. And all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. Now, what God was saying that Abraham didn't understand at that time but became very clear later is that, Abraham, everyone on the earth 
is going to be offered the blessing of a restored relationship with me. And Abraham, it's going to start with you. And that's a big promise. And that's an outrageous promise. And it, it would have been one thing, you know, if God had promised that the people of Abraham's future na nation would be blessed through him. But this promise was much bigger than that. See, the pro the, this promise made, that God made 4,000 years ago was not just for Abraham and that nation. It was going to be for all peoples, everyone. See, this promise, whether you know it or not, it affects you. And affects me. And here's the point of me sharing this with you. God's solution to humanity's problem of sin began with three promises he made to Abraham. Because of God's amazing love. Because of God's amazing grace. He chose to wade into the mess that we created with sin instead of walking away. But he had to start somewhere. And he started with one particular man named Abraham. Now, even if you're familiar with all that history, a question that most people have never considered but I think is so important when it comes to the starting point of faith is why did God choose to start with Abraham? Like, why? Like, why did God choose to start cleaning up the mess, restoring our relationship with him, with humanity, with Abraham? And the comforting news, the good news, is that it was not because he was perfect and it was not because he was sinless. Far from it. He was a sinner, just like you are, just like I am. He was deeply flawed. You should go read it yourself. Just go read the, you know, the first half of Genesis yourself. You're going to see he, Abraham, he was a liar. He was a cheater. He was fear, you know, filled with fear. His faith was shaky. He, I mean, he was just kind of a scummy dude at different times. I mean, you just read, you're like, what? God chose this guy? He had all kinds of problems. He had all kinds of issues. But God had to start somewhere. So why did he pick imperfect, why did he pick imperfect Abraham? And the answer to that question affects us more, affects you more, affects me more in ways than we can possibly imagine. See, after, after God made these three promises to Abraham, years went by. And Abraham and Sarah were still childless. And so Abraham did what most of us would do. He worried. And the thing that he worried most about was that without a male heir, Eleazar, who was his chief servant, would inherit everything of his. And so one night, Abraham is pouring out his heart to God and in prayer. And here's what the writer of Genesis records that God said to him in response. Then the word of the Lord came to him, to Abraham, this man, Eleazar, his, his chief servant, will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. He's saying, Abraham, don't worry. You will, ha you will have a flesh and blood, blood heir just like I promised you you would years before. And then he, God, took Abraham, Abraham outside and said, look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Now, we don't see stars because we live in the city. I mean, we look up, we see three, and you're like, no, that's a plane. We see two, you know. But where Abraham lived in the Middle East, I mean, the sky was white with stars. I mean, it's just you, the Milky Way just lit up the, the night sky. So Abraham's looking up at these stars, and God says, then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And as encouraging as that must have sounded, it didn't change the fact that Abraham and Sarah were still old, and we're still childless. That's why what happens next is so amazing. 
and is the reason I believe God chose Abraham to start restoring his relationship with humanity. See, what the writer of Genesis records next comes out of nowhere and is, I think, one of the most important statements in the entire Bible. This next statement has profound implications for you. This next statement has profound implications for me because as far as we can tell, for the, in first time, in the, for the first time in recorded history, God defines the relational terms between him and humanity. This next statement is so unbelievable and so unbelievably simple, simple that honestly, none of the three main faith traditions have wholly and fully embraced this without adding to it. This next statement, it's, it's just too good to be true. This next statement is so important for anyone who desires a restored relationship with God. This next statement clarifies what a restored relationship in God, with God starts with. Here it is. Abraham believed, which means trusted, which means had confidence in relied on the Lord. And he, God, credited it, his trust, to him as righteousness. He looks up at the sky and says, okay, God, I trust you. I trust you are who you say you are, and you will do everything that you promised to do, even though all the evidence points to the contrary. And through that single expression of trust, God credited him with righteousness, meaning a right standing with him, which resulted in a restored relationship with him. Not because he was already righteous. He was a sinner just like you and just like me. And not because of any right acts that he had done. This was a gift. It was a gift that God credited to him because of his trust alone. See, I think the bottom line of Abraham's story is this. A right standing with God starts with trust alone. A right standing with God starts with trust alone. But you got to know, the implications of this extend far beyond Abraham. The implications of this extend to you and to me. See, about 1,900 years after Abraham and a few years after the events of Jesus' life, the Apostle Paul would make a connection between Abraham's single act of trust and those who are seeking a right standing with God in this generation. And here's what the Apostle Paul wrote. Abraham's faith was credited to him as righteousness. The words, it was credited to him, were written not for him alone, but also for us. To whom God will credit righteousness, a right standing with him for us who believe in him, trust in him, have confidence in him, rely on him, on him who raised Jesus, our Lord from the dead. And here's Paul's point. The right standing with God available to Abraham is available to us as well. The right standing that God made available to Abraham is available to us as well. And the means by which we attain it is the same as well. And that is trust. And today, where we stand today, it's I trust in who Jesus is. 
I trust in what Jesus did for me to restore my relationship with God, the relationship that your sin broke and my sin broke. But later on that in the series, because we haven't even answered the question yet, who is Jesus? And that is the starting point for faith. But the bottom line for today that's so important as we're on this journey is this. A right standing with God starts with trust alone. A right standing with God starts with trust alone. And here's the interesting thing. And I'm not trying to be cynical. I'm just trying to take us all on a journey. Even though all three, you know, major faith traditions look back to Abraham as their founder. Look back to Abraham as their father. All three have missed this on some level, that a right standing with God starts with trust alone. Because the Jews would say, you have a right standing with God by being Jewish. Like, we have a right standing with God because we're God's chosen people. And when Jesus came and walked on this earth, the Jews, you know, looked at Jesus and said, we don't need you. We're Abraham's sons. We're Abraham's daughters. And being in Abraham's lineages is what guarantees our relationship with God. It's what guarantees our right standing with God. It's all about who you're related to, the family you're born in, your heritage. Then about 600 years after Jesus, Muhammad came along and said the way that you have a right standing with with God, with Allah, is belief in Allah and believing in the the Muslim prophets and your works and your acts of righteousness. At the end of your life, your good works are going to be measured against your bad works and Allah will determine if you have a right standing with him. But you won't know until the end. See, it's all about what you believe and then what you do that counts. And then about 30 minutes after Jesus left this earth, the Christians started arguing about this. Oh, you have a right standing with God by keeping the law of Moses. And some are like, no, you don't got to keep the law of Moses anymore. It's just about faith in Jesus. And, you know, you got to have, a, you gotta have a, a, you know, a certain set of doctrinal beliefs. And then fast forward a few hundred years and the Catholics come along and like, no, you have a right standing with God by keeping the sacraments, by, you know, getting baptized and then, and then having your first communion and the other five that come after that. And then so many, you know, in the church have said, no, you, you, the way you have a right standing with God is by following a certain set of rules. By the way, we're going to talk about all the rules next week. See, the church, it's been divided since the first century until now. And you look at Islam and Judaism and Christianity, it seems like no one knows how how the right standing with God starts. And it doesn't have to be that way. It should not be that way. 4,000 years ago, before anyone considered themselves Jewish, before anyone considered themselves Muslim, before anyone considered themselves Christian, God revealed the secret to Abraham which was trust. I trust you, even though it's hard. I'm going to trust who you say you are and will do what only you can do and have promised to do. See, the fact that we miss this has created the wrong starting point for so many people. And I believe made so many people Never start faith or abandon faith or give up on their faith or walk away from their faith. And maybe that's you. And we're going to pick it up there next week. But I want to give you a few questions to wrestle with before next week. You know, if you're one of the starting point groups, wrestle, you're going to wrestle through these this week. T-Life groups, 
you're going to wrestle through these this week. T-Life group leaders, lead your group into this this week to wrestle through these questions. You know, you know, if you're married or you have kids on your way home, you know, just in the car or over lunch, take time to wrestle through these questions. You know, college students with your roommate this week, take, take time to wrestle through these questions. These questions are so vitally important. They're going to help you on this journey. So here's the first question. You've got to be honest about this question. Which best reflects how you have viewed before this sermon? Not that you, now that you have listened to me and, you know, I talked you into something. I wasn't trying to talk you into anything. You can see if I'm in, you know, know what I'm talking about or not. That's up to you. What best reflects how you have viewed a right standing with God starting? Well, what best reflects how you have viewed that? A right standing with God starting. Is it, you know, birth? Like, because of the family or, you know, heritage, your, you know, the, your family heritage that you were born into, you know, the fact that I was born Catholic or I was born Jewish or I was born American or I was born white or I was born rich. You know, that's how I was born. That, that's how a right standing with God starts. Or maybe it's, has it been behavior? My good deeds and my good works, that's how a right standing with God starts. I was baptized as a baby. I follow the sacraments. You know, I don't smoke, I don't drink, I don't cuss, and I don't date girls that do. And so that's how a right standing with God is started. Or maybe it's a certain set of beliefs, a certain set of, you know, doctrinal dispositions you have or denomination affiliation. That's how a right standing with God starts. Or is it a was it a combination of all of these three things for you or was it something completely else? This is a, this, that's an important question because it leads to this second question. How has that view affected you? Has your view of how a right standing with God starts, have you, have you viewed it up to this point in time? Has that helped, filled you with peace or has that filled you with anxiety? Has it given you assurance or has it given you fear? How's it, how's it affected you? How's it affected your faith? Do you feel like it's helped your faith in God or hurt your faith in God? Do you, does, has it made you walk away or has it made your faith grow stronger? How has it affected your view of God? Has it made you look at God as a loving God or a wrath-filled God? A personal God or a distant God? You have to answer that question for yourself. If you're really gonna, really, ever going to start, restart, or grow in your faith, these questions are so important. And here's the third question. What if? I'm just... Like, what if? What if a right standing with God really does start with trust alone? What if? Listen, I get it. The notion of a right standing with God starting on some, such simple terms, it's hard to believe. I know it seems too easy. I know it seems too cheap. I know it seems too free. I know it seems too simple. But what if? What if our Heavenly Father would wade into the puke and do such a thing? What if we've made this way more complicated than it was supposed to be? What if a restored relationship with God is closer than you thought possible? What would the implications of that be for you? What would the implications of that be for your future? What would the implications of that be for your faith? Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, I just, uh, <laughs> I just thank you for looking at the mess we created and choosing to wade into it instead of walk away, that you loved us enough for that. And God, I don't know why you started the way that you did 4,000 years ago, but I know where we are today, and I just am in awe of the loving God that you are 
God, I pray that as we wrestle through this and we wrestle through the implications of this, um, God, I pray just draws us closer to you, uh, our heavenly Father, and who you are and your character. God, and I pray it helps some start their faith in you, restart their faith, or grow our faith in you. In Jesus' name, amen.